Good morning. Well, let's go home. That was really good. Let's hit it. That's enough. Enough said this morning. Amen. Well, thank you, team. That was a blessing. Um, hey, we are going to continue our series this morning called Songs of Salvation from the Gospel of Luke. And as Rod already alluded to, in the Gospel of Luke, there are four songs that as people hear about the birth of Jesus, they kind of spontaneously break into poetic verse. So last week, we looked at Zechariah when it was announced to him that John the Baptist would be born. This week, we're going to look at Mary, who when the angel Gabriel showed up and told her about the birth of Christ, she burst into song. Next week on Christmas Eve, we're going to be looking at the song of the angels. And finally, on New Year's Eve, we're going to be looking at the song of Simeon, which maybe you've never heard a sermon on before, but I hope that will be an encouragement to you as well. But this week, we are in what is known as the Magnificat. And that, the reason for that title is it's the first word of Mary's song in Latin, which it was in there for a long time. So we're going to look at this and how Mary responded to the announcement of the birth of Jesus. Let's go to the Lord together and ask for his help. Father, we are so grateful for your mercy and your grace. We are thankful that you have sent your son into the world to rescue sinners like us. Lord, we need you. I need you. Would you encourage us from your word? Would you show us Jesus freshly? In his precious name I pray. All God's people said. How many of you are the, uh, the rapper of presence in your home? How many of you does that include? Okay, very good. It's like six of you. The rest of you are like, we don't rap them, right? Yeah. Have you ever thought about this phenomenon? Why do we wrap presents? Hmm. It's an interesting idea. Like, we, we buy them. We kind of get the gift-giving type idea. Like, that's to celebrate that God gave Jesus to us. But I think there's another truth hidden in the idea that we wrap presents. You know why I think it is sociologically? I think it's because we all like to be surprised. We all like a little bit to unwrap this thing that we don't know what it is. My kids like know what they are before. They're gross. Ian is the worst. He'll go and like determine every present before he opens them. I hate you, son. Um, (laughs) But we all, except for sociopaths, like to unwrap the presents and say, what a surprise this is. I think that's a little bit hardwired in our heart. You know, we all like when you're walking down the hall at work and the, and the boss unexpectedly says, hey, great job on that project. And you're like, oh, man, that was unexpected and pleasant. Or you go to the mail and you open up a check and you're like, oh, man, I overpaid for that thing. That's awesome. This is a nice surprise. Or, you ready? If you look under your seat right now and there's a gift card under there, I'm not Oprah, for Pete's sakes. No, I'm not doing that. No, this is Gospel Hope Church. Yeah, that's not what we're doing. We all like surprises. It's why we root for the underdog. You know, we want the unexpected to happen. It's why we, we get excited when somebody gets engaged and we say, were you surprised? We all, in some sense, really like this idea of receiving something unexpected. And you know why that is? It's because the God of the universe, 
the one responsible for creating humanity, wove this expectation for the unexpected in all of our hearts. It's not a coincidence that everybody likes to be surprised in a way. And then, therefore, we should not then be shocked that unsurprisingly, God chose to send his son in a surprising way. The ultimate gift, Jesus Christ himself, came into the world in a rather surprising way because God knows, God created us to long for this surprise. And what a surprise it was. Around six months after the angel Gabriel had appeared to Zechariah, remember back uh, in the story we looked at last week, the angel Gabriel shows up and talks to Zechariah. Six months later, Gabriel delivered another message, this time to the cousin or relative of Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, a young woman named Mary. If what Gabriel said to Elizabeth was, or about Elizabeth's baby was astounding, what he said about Mary's baby was downright spectacular. Look at what it says, Luke chapter 1, verse number 31. This is the words of the angel Gabriel. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and to his kingdom there will be no end. Whoa! That's quite an announcement. Just unpack that for a moment. So according to the angel's announcement, Mary's baby would be the Savior. That's what the name Jesus means, after all. It means Jehovah saved. And God named him that way because that is what he fundamentally came to do. Jesus came to rescue his people. Not only this, though, the Bible says he would be great. The passage also says he would be the son of the most high. And if that is not enough, he would be a king. But not just a regular king who would have an administration, who would have a period of his reign. But notice what the text says there. He would be a king that sits on the throne of his father, David, and he would reign forever. That's a Christmas story illusion. You know, you guys know that one? No? Yes. Okay. There it is. All right. Yes. He would reign forever. His dominion would have no end. As the kids say, He's kind of a big deal. Eventually, when Mary hears this news and goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, she meets up with Elizabeth, and in that moment, she is overcome with joy. So much so that she bursts out into song. Mary's song begins with these words, verse number 46 of Luke chapter 4. Uh, chapter 1, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So Mary is so overwhelmed that she has been given the gift of carrying the Savior of the world that she burst out into a poem. My soul magnifies the Lord. But here's the thing. Mary's song is not just an expression of how she was feeling in the moment. I would argue that Mary's song is actually an invitation. 
It's an invitation for anyone and everyone who hears about the wondrous Savior, the work of Jesus to join Mary in her magnification of the God of her salvation. Her song is not just descriptive. Her song is an invocation to say, come along with me. Because I am about to give praise and glory to the one who sent Jesus, Savior, the Most High, the Son of the Most High God, the King who will rule forever and ever into the world. So here's the invitation this morning, and it's really the point of where I'm going. We must magnify Jesus for the salvation he brings. We're not supposed to read this story disinterestedly, as if, oh, that's, that's nice. What a wonderful, heartwarming story, like the Hallmark Channel. No, we're supposed to read this and join in with Mary in praise of the Savior. So what specifically about Jesus causes Mary's heart to soar? As by this time you might expect, it's a little bit unexpected. See what I did there? That's a play on words. Yeah, that's good. I wrote that down, okay? So, yeah. This is simply to say that what Mary highlights in her song is that Jesus is actually kind of a surprising savior. He's not what you would expect. He comes in an unusual way for unusual people. So that's what I wanna unpack in the next few minutes here. I want us to join in the magnification of Jesus by looking at our surprising savior. First thing I wanna highlight is this. God works through improbable people. Stop and think about it for a minute. God, being God, could have chosen to save the world in any way he chose to, right? Okay, Rod has read his Bible before. Anybody else in the room? Yes. Yes. God had infinite choices before him because he's God. He can do whatever he wants. That's, that's the perk of the job of being God. You get to make the rules. You get to do whatever you want. So this infinite being could have chosen any way to save the world. And yet, and yet, he chose to send his son to involve this young girl named Mary. Humanly speaking, this is berserk. I mean, this is not just unlikely. This is... This is unfathomable in one sense, that God would choose to send his son to Mary. This is made plain when we're introduced to Mary herself. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse number 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So what made Mary... So improbable. There's, there's like five things here that makes her improbable. First one is this. She was Jewish. Now, if you know the political climate of the day during the first century here, Israel was not like an important place. It was occupied by Rome. They had no king. They kind of had no like hope of a king. They were oppressed and they were not significant in any way. They were a mere shadow of what they once were. And God says, I'm going to send my son there. It'd like be sending Jesus into the world, into some, you know, Eastern European country that you can't even pronounce the name of. 
Like, that's kind of the idea. It's like an out-of-the-way place. You don't know. It's not a seat of power. It's not significant on the geopolitical landscape. God says, I'm going to send my son into this place that is out of the way and unimportant. What is more, she's not just Jewish. She's a Nazarene. I mean, this is like even more so. Like Galilee, what it says here, this was kind of an unimportant place within an unimportant place. So it's an insignificant region in an insignificant country. And Nazareth is an insignificant town in the midst of an insignificant region in the midst of an insignificant country. And God says, there's a place. That's it. I'm going to send my son to Nazareth. In fact, as Jesus grew up and his earthly ministry began to take shape, he was actually criticized for where he was raised. This is one of the things that people brought against him. This is not something I'm making up. This is something that actually is well known. When, when his opponent says something like, man, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? We've never even heard in the place. And Gabriel like actually understands this. Notice the way that Gabriel explains about Mary. He, he, he says, or Luke sets this up. He says, uh, look there up on the screen, please. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. He doesn't just say he was sent to Nazareth like everybody would know about it. He says he was sent to a Galilee named Nazareth. Basically, it's like Luke saying, you probably never heard of it before. It's an out-of-the-way place. So it's unlikely because Mary is a Jew. It's unlikely because she's a Nazarene. And then here is the kicker. It's unlikely because she was a virgin. Although Mary's background made her an unlikely candidate to bear the Savior, this one takes the cake. Mary was an unmarried virgin. Do you know what virgin means in the Greek? It means virgin. <laughs> to put it delicately, this is not how things work. We must be careful not to anesthetize the story of the arrival of Jesus. We get our lovely nativity scenes and they're clean and pretty and look really nice. But let's take a step back to Nazareth there for a moment. Angel shows up, announces to Mary, and Mary alone, by the way, that she is going to have a baby. And that baby is from the Holy Spirit. Okay, I don't know if you've had health class. That's not typically how babies are born. And then what generally happens about six months or so? What generally happens to a woman who has, is having a baby? She starts to show. The angel didn't make a public announcement. Uh, Nazareth, just want to let you guys know that baby that she's carrying is from the Holy Spirit. No, he didn't do that. Could have done it, didn't do it. And so Mary is going around and people start to ask questions. She's engaged. She's not married. So there's no like kind of covering like, hey, this is all safe. It's all good. No, I mean, people are asking questions of her. And Mary has two options. She needed a lie. It's not a good alternative. I mean, what are you going to say? She can say nothing, I guess, maybe sometimes that happens, or she can tell the truth. Guess how well that played. You know, actually, it's the Holy Spirit that impregnated me. 
Ah, Mary. Yeah, that's mm, good one. In fact, even Joseph doesn't believe her. So we don't know how long Mary, impregnated by the Holy Spirit, is bearing this alone. Joseph doesn't believe her. Bible says over in the Gospel of Matthew, here was Joseph's response. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. At least Joseph is a good guy. He's not trying to create a scandal. He's not trying to shame her, but he's like, look, I can't. I can't, Mary. I mean, I know where babies come from. This wasn't me. I'm out. Can you imagine? We make this clean story. This was impossibly hard. And God in his grace shows up to Joseph. I can't, I can't imagine how good Mary felt that day when Joseph said, I had a dream. You believe me? Yes, I believe you. God came and spoke to me and told me what that baby is. I will marry you. I mean, it is loaded with emotion and fear. And here's the thing. Could God have announced to the world that Mary was carrying his child? Yes or no? Did he? So God chose, chose to allow his son to be born into a scandalous situation. God chose an awfully strange way to save the world. He chose to have the son of God be born into that strange and scandalous situation. Even Mary is mystified by God's plan. She doesn't understand what's going on. Luke chapter 1, verse number 28. And Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favor one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. It's as if Mary's saying, are you, are you talking to me? I'm just Mary. I'm just a regular girl. I'm not important. She's probably very young. She is the most unlikely of heroes of the story. But here's my question for you. If you've read the Bible, which apparently Pastor Rod has, I don't know if anybody else has. We shouldn't be shocked by this. We just really shouldn't. Because it seems to me that God likes to work in surprising ways. You know the guy we call the father of our faith, Abraham? You know he was a moon worshiper. And God took that man and he turned him around and he used him to build the Christian faith upon. You know, this King David, who we say was the greatest king ever, he was a little shepherd boy who his brothers didn't even think anything of. Left all out and alone in the shepherd. He said, bring me your sons. They bring them all and they just leave David. Like he don't even count. And God uses David in mighty ways. You remember that guy, Joseph? 11th son. Everybody hates him. His brothers hate him. He's in prison. They thought he was dead and in prison. And God uses Joseph to save the entire world from famine. 
Remember the guy who wrote most of the New Testament? His name's Paul. Actually, his name was? Because before he was Paul, the apostle and writer of scripture, he was persecutor of the church, public enemy number one of God and his people. It seems to me God delights in defying convention. So should we really be saved when God is doing his piece de resistance of sending his son into the world to rescue sinners from the grave and from hell? Should we be surprised that he's got it wrapped in a little present and you are surprised by what you see? The implication is this. God does not simply work through those who appear to have a lot to offer him. On the contrary, the Lord often chooses to work those who seemingly unimpressive, unlikely, and unimportant. This is good news for regular folks like us. The older I get, the less impressed with myself I am. <laughs> You're like, the older you get, the less impressed with you I am too. I agree. <laughs> when I was in my 20s, I thought I was all that and a bag of chips. And now, decades later, I'm not sure I'm a bag of chips. <laughs> but I am encouraged that God took little Mary, little out-of-the-way Mary, and used her to work the salvation of the souls of all humanity who would trust in Jesus. God works through improbable, unlikely people. Are there a string of failures in your past? Do you feel inadequate? Is your pedigree insignificant? Is your only extraordinariness your ordinariness? Great, fantastic, amazing, because that qualifies you to be used by the Lord. Your inadequacy does not exclude you from usefulness. It qualifies you for it. God delights to work through people that don't have it all together themselves. Paul says over in 1 Corinthians, I love this, it's so endearing of the Apostle Paul. Look at what he writes about the Corinthians. For consider your calling, brothers. He's like, look in the mirror, guys. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. He's basically saying, you're not that awesome. Hey, Corinthians, not awesome. Then he says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Listen, the Bible is essentially the story of an incomparable God doing impossible things through improbable people. It's the God of heaven, the incomparable God, doing impossible things through improbable people. And that should fill us with joy today. Because I don't know what your story is. You look pretty average from up here. And God can use you. God can work through you. If God could rescue the world by impregnating a young girl named Mary from an out-of-the-way place 
and use it to have ripple effects for millennia and all eternity, God can still work through you. And this is not something that was lost on Mary. Look at what she says, verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in the God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, she recognizes it. She's like, I'm not a lot, but look at what's gonna happen. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, and here we are today, blessing this little girl that just was obedient and humble enough to allow God to work in and through her. For he who is mighty has done great things. Holy is his name. So if you are average, if you are unimpressive, if you feel like you don't have much to offer, then rest assured you are just the type of person God delights to work through. That deeply encourages my soul. God works through improbable people. That's not all that Mary highlights here. God not only works through improbable people, God works for incapable people. She strikes this note in her song that she sees that God works for those who are unable. Look again at the text. Here's her song, verse number 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Well, who who are those that fear him? Look at what it says. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Mary sees the mighty God coming to the aid of the humble, the hungry, and the helpless. It is no wonder that God chose the name of his son to be what? Jesus, it means savior, because that's what he came to do. Jesus did not primarily come to be our example. He was our example. Jesus did not primarily come to be our teacher. He was our teacher. But we needed more than information. We needed more than a model. We needed rescue. And that is why God sent his son in the world to those who were unable to help themselves. Fundamentally, Christ came to save those who couldn't do it for themselves. This is a repeated theme of scripture. Psalm 147, verse number seven. Who executes? God executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner. Hey, you got trouble? The Lord is the one who comes to rescue. Mark chapter 2, verse number 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. And by the way, y'all, we're all sick. 
He didn't come to rescue the well because there ain't none of them alive. He came to rescue broken, humble, needy sinners like you and I. Jesus came to help those who couldn't help themselves. Maybe most famously over in Romans chapter 5, verse number 6 and 8, it says this, For while we were still weak, you feel it? At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, me. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still, what's it say? Sinners. Christ died for us. You may have heard the expression before, God helps those who helps themselves. I'd like to alter that and actually make it biblical. I think it should be something more like this. God helps those who cannot help themselves. And this is the good news of the gospel. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. When you are powerless, when you are weak, when you are humble, when you are low, when you are unable, when you are impotent, when you cannot pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, God sent his son into the world to rescue just those type of people. He doesn't just work through the improbable. He works for the incapable and the unable. There's a story that powerfully illustrates this from the life of Jesus in Mark's gospel. There's a man named Jairus, and he had a daughter who was sick and dying. Heard about Jesus and heard that he was doing these miracles and healing people, and the sick were getting better. And so along comes these messengers. Jairus comes to Jesus, and he says, please come with me and heal my daughter. Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Only believe. And they start to make their way to Jairus' house. And partway there, some folks who were there at the house come and meet them. And they say to Jairus, don't trouble the teacher anymore. It's too late. She's dead. He says, no, no, no. Come on. Just believe. Just believe. And they get to Jairus' house, and the people are mourning and wailing. And Jesus makes an uncanny statement. Look up at the screen in Mark's gospel. Here's what he says. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. What? She's dead. Like, she's dead. Is Jesus mistaken? Why, why does he say that if the child's dead? Like, I'm not a doctor. The people's not a doctor. But, like, dead and not dead are pretty easy to determine. There's no, like, mostly dead or partly dead. Like, it's just like an on-off switch. Either you are not dead or dead. So is Jesus confused? I don't think so. I think what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is making a theological point. So what does he do? He, he sends everybody out of the room except for the parents. 
and some of his disciples. And then Jesus walks over to the corpse, the dead little girl, and he says something very simple. He says, Talitha Kumai. It's Aramaic, probably the language Jesus grew up speaking, probably the language the little girl knew. Talitha Kumai, it simply means this little girl, wake up, get up. She's dead, remember? But she gets up. This corpse at the word of Jesus gets up. What's going on? Why did Jesus say she's just sleeping? And then why did he raise her from the dead, knowing full well that she was dead? What is going on? I think Jesus is illustrating something that we need to feel down in our bones. And it is simply this idea. For Jesus, bringing the dead to life is as easy as waking a child from sleep. I think that's what Jesus is showing here, us here. And here's how it applies to Mary. Look, the idea is that God does not just help people who are on their way doing a pretty good job and he gives them a little nudge in the right direction. God does not give good advice to people who are really, you know, they just need some better information and they'll make better decisions. God does not say, let me get a Band-Aid on you because it looks like you're wounded a little bit. No, God raises the dead. The most incapable people in the world, God says, hey, psst, wake up. And for him, it's as easy as that. Death is no harder for him than sleep. And he's illustrating for us that we can trust him when we feel utterly incapable. There is nothing beyond the scope of his power. There is nothing beyond the reach of his arm. Our God works for the incapable. Here's what this means. Listen, no one is too far gone. You are not too far gone. No one is too weak. No one is too dead. No sinner is beyond Christ's power to save. And the reason Mary's heart soared in this song is because she recognized that reality. Mary got a hold of two truths simultaneously. She got a hold of this, both how and who Jesus saves is utterly shocking. Both how Jesus saves and who Jesus saves is surprising. He saves in this like unconventional way. He works through improbable people. He does it that defies what we would expect. And then he saves people who don't have anything to bring to the table except for the sin that they need saving from. And we contribute nothing but death. And Jesus is like, don't worry about it. Wake up. It's that easy for me. Just wake up because his power is unstoppable. And that's why Mary sang and that's why we are invited to magnify the Lord with her.
So where does this leave us? I think Mary's song reminds us of two fundamental realities, and here's what they are. No one is unusable, and no one is unsavable. No one is unusable, and no one is unsavable. Here's what that means. No matter how unimpressive or unqualified you might feel, the Lord can still use you. No one who is trusted in the work of Jesus is useless. God can use you in profound and significant ways. I want you to think about something for a moment. Right now, I am standing up here trying to do something that is utterly impossible. Humanly speaking, it is completely impossible. I am trying to encourage you, inspire you, help you to trust in Jesus more, to grow in your relationship with him. I've got zero ability to do that. What is more, the only weapon that I have the only thing in my arsenal, as it were, are sound waves. You sciencey people get what I'm saying right now. Like, my vocal cords vibrate, and these little, like, waves go through the air, and stupid me wants something eternal to happen because of that. It's a pipe dream. It's ridiculous. I'm not that clever. I'm not that smart. I don't even have the best words. My voice is slightly annoying. The camera people get mad at me because I run around like a lunatic. <laughs> I rebuke that spirit, yeah. <laughs> and yet, here I am, speaking trying to do normal stuff, study God's word, share it with people, and somehow, truly, miraculously, the Holy Spirit of God takes those sound waves floating through the air, they hit little bones in your ears that jiggle, and something eternal happens! That's crazy! But that is what God can do. God can do unbelievable, impossible things through improbable people. <laughs> the Bible, the Bible as a whole, it reminds us consistently of this. It is filled with stories of God doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. So if God is calling you to share your faith or take on injustice or minister to the marginalized or become a missionary or give sacrificially with generosity or serve in a way you've never served before or lead in a way that you've never led before, remember the God of the Bible loves a good underdog story. He's the one that created David and Goliath after all. 
And he can use your little sling and your five little stones and do extraordinary things through you. If you've trusted in the work of God, if you've turned from your sins and put your hope in Jesus and Jesus alone, you are not unusable, you are useful in the hands of the master. It's not about the tool, it is about the skill of the one who wields it, so let's trust him. But not only is no one unusable, no one is unsavable. Because through the death of Jesus, God helps those who cannot help themselves. Then no one is beyond the mighty reach of God. Listen to this, church. No one has fallen too far. No one has wandered too long. No one is too bad. No one is too broken. No group is unreachable. No region unenterable. No language untranslatable. No culture inscrutable. No darkness impenetrable. Why? Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Or to put it in the words of Gabriel, Nothing is impossible with God. Oh, he works through improbable people and does impossible things. So can we run to him this morning, church? I want to invite us to do just that by inviting you to pray in just a moment. I want to give two focuses to this prayer time, and it's simply this. The first one, would you talk to God about how you feel unusable. Maybe there's some area in your life and you're like, Lord, I I don't feel like you can use me in that way. I'm afraid. I'm nervous. Feels above my pay grade. I feel inadequate to the task. But Lord, I just want to bring my self-confidence to you and put all my confidence in you. God, I just want to confess that if you can work through Mary, I do believe you can work through me. I just want to talk to the Lord about that. Second area I want to encourage you with is maybe there's someone in your life that feels unsavable. So far, so long gone. But you're like, Lord, I, I just don't know. Can you bring that person to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I, I'm reminded right now that your arm is not short. I'm reminded that you are powerful enough to save anyone And I want to bring my friend, my family member, my coworker, myself to you. Lord, I want to trust that your arm is strong enough to reach anyone. Can we do that? I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to kind of just give you a couple prompts to talk to the Lord about that on your own here. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you do work through improbable people and for incapable people. And Lord, we just want to run to you with our need this morning. We are not impressive. We are not powerful, but you are. And you sent your son to rescue people like us. So we come with empty hands and open hearts, and we ask that you would meet us right now. 
Would you take a minute and talk to the Lord about how you feel incapable in your life right now? Just talk to the Lord. Maybe there's a situation you feel incapable in. Bring it to the Lord. you can work through me. pivot will you talk to the Lord about the person that feels unsavable in your life Lord give me faith help me to believe help me to share help me to do my part don't let me give up don't let me give in to unbelief draw them, Lord. You can draw them. Father, we honor you. Our soul magnifies you, and we rejoice in the salvation that you have brought to your people. Lord, we sing with Mary. You are great and greatly to be praised. And we honor you today. Thank you that you work through improbable people like us. Lord, we're not awesome, but you are. I pray that we would be reminded that you don't need us, but you want us. Father, we thank you that no one is beyond your reach. And I pray right now, Lord that some of the names on these people's hearts that you would break through in a fresh way. That wayward son, that sibling who's walked away from you, that coworker whose heart has been hard to the gospel, that childhood friend, that mom, that dad, that brother, that sister. Lord, would you break in and work on behalf of the humble. Do what only you can do. You are God, and we rejoice in you. In your precious name, we pray. All God's people said, amen. We're going to sing and worship the Lord one more time in a moment. But, man, if the Lord's stirring something in your heart, and you just need to seek him more, maybe it's that loved one that you need to pray for, our prayer team is going to be standing by in the back right now. They would love to pray with you. And listen. If you think you're unsavable, would you go talk to them? Because, friend, you are not. You are not. That is a lie from the pit of hell. 
Jesus came to rescue sinners. And that's all of us in this room. These church people aren't, ain't no better than you. All they know is that they're, they're just as broken as you are. We don't come to church because we're good. We come because God is good. And we need to be reminded of how good he is and how much we need him. So if the Lord is stirring in your heart, would you go pray with these folks? They would be delighted just to minister to you. Let's stand on our feet and worship the Lord together.